Thank you for joining us today for the Restoration Church podcast. This is the fourth in our United series, and it is entitled Walls. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Restoration Church. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time to the Blue Note, welcome to the Blue Note. It's an awesome venue. We thank uh, Andrea and Bill for having us here. Um, If you have not eaten at the Blue Note, come and eat at the Blue Note. It's got great food, so... Stick around after church. Hang out. Uh, We're in a series called United. This is the fourth message in that series. We're studying the book of Ephesians. So if you want to catch up with where we're at, you're welcome to go and check us out at restorationchurch.us backslash messages. And all the stuff, every series that we've done is up online, and you can check out and see what we're doing. It's been said that uh, good fences make good neighbors. Would anybody agree with that? Yeah, anybody got a really good fence? I don't have a good fence, but I have great neighbors, right? But I mean, like, our fence is, you can see through it. You can't even hide behind it. There's no privacy. It's just a big white picket fence around the house, you know? Does anybody have, like, one of those large privacy fences in their backyard? No? There's a, you drive down um, Garrett Road, like you're leaving Jordan High School and you're headed towards 15501, and there's this house over in the corner. I have no idea who lives there, but they have a huge fence that wraps around, and it looks like a compound, and I always wondered what's back there, Right? And there, there's the same kind of fence in Wake County. There's a house that has this big stucco, like, brick wall fence all the way around the house, and you can't see inside of it. And I've always wanted to, like, I'm, it's, it's really bad, but I wish they have an emergency and I get called to it so I can see what's behind the fence. You know, it's like, like it'd be so cool. Oh, the ambulance is coming in. Oh, look at all these cars and stuff. It'd be interesting. Um, building walls, a lot of society's greatest nations believe the same thing, that, that good walls make good neighbors or good fences make good neighbors. Uh, think about, like, big walls you've known in history. Have anybody ever heard of the walls of Athens? Have you ever heard of those? Um, Athens was a landlocked city, a major city, and they had no access to the ocean. So if they were attacked, they, they didn't have any way to resupply themselves, right? So they built these huge walls in this triangular shape down to a bay. So they had access to a navy, and they could resupply in, the, in a time of war. And they were called the, the Great Walls of Athens. We know about the Great Wall of China, obviously, that's a good one. We all know that. Built to keep people out and maybe keep people in. I don't know. Never been there. But huge. You can see it from space. Amazing wall. Uh, Berlin Wall. Anybody remember that one? Anybody remember when David Hasselhoff stood on the top of it and it all started to fall? And I was like four. I don't remember. It was, like, it was a big deal when the Berlin Wall was, was crumbled and, and East and West Germany were united again. That was a huge deal. Uh, if you travel back in Jerusalem... Back in the day of Christ and of Paul and the time when Ephesians was written, you'd find another wall. It's called the Soreg. Has anybody ever heard of the Soreg? It's about a three to four foot wall, three and a half foot wall according to Josephus. And um, it was outside of the temple and it separated the, the place where Jews and Gentiles were allowed to go. There was the court of the Gentiles and then there was the Soreg. And the Soreg had, uh, I'm probably murdering the name, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it because so I'm Southern, so enjoy. Um, the Sorg had different gates along it, and in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, there was a sign that said, no Gentiles are to pass at the penalty of death. Um, it, was a, it was a physical representation of a spiritual reality, right? And uh, it was a big deal. The wall was a big deal. It was put up to, to separate Jews from Gentiles. It was a man-made wall. It was a system, a systematic attempt to oppress a specific race of people, the Gentiles. It was a wall of racism. That's what it was when we get right down to it. And um, 
Paul writes the letter of Ephesians from prison in Rome. And you know why he's probably in prison at this time? Because he dared to have his eyes opened by the gospel and to take a Gentile past that wall. And it caused an uproar in the, in the temple that, that a Gentile came past that wall. And then because there was a riot, Paul got arrested and thrown in jail. And so he's writing Ephesians from jail more than likely because he tried to violate this system, this racist system of separation of God and man, because his eyes were open to the gospel. But Paul was not always like that. Paul was not always um, this bold, you know, charging the frontiers of social norms. He was a racist, right? His father was a racist. His father's father was a racist. He, he grew up under this concept, this idea that Gentiles were less than human. Like they, they, were not, they were not worthy. That God had specifically selected the Jews. That God had showed his love specifically to the Jews. There was no room for any Gentiles in the worship of God. And so they built this amazing wall, this three-foot wall that could easily be climbed over, but was just to, to remind everyone, you're not like me. And you're not welcome. You can come from afar and you can see God in a way, but you're not welcome to get close. Today we're going to see in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that Jesus abolished this mentality. He tore down this wall. So if you'll join me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. We're going to read this. Um, remember last week there was the before and after pictures, right? There was the before Christ we were dead and enslaved and objects of wrath. And then after Christ we are lifted up and made alive, right? And this is the kind of... Paul was applying the gospel to individuals in verses 1 through 9, or through 10. And then now today, he's going to apply it to the nations, right? The gospel goes beyond just individualism. It goes to community. And so today, we're going to see the before and after picture of the Gentiles and the Jews. So, verse 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed by human hands. Remember, it's an interesting word, it means, and keep on remembering, that you were at one time separate from Christ. You were separate from Messiah. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in this world. So this is the before picture of a race of people that shadowed the realities about what we talked about last week. Um, remember, enslaved to sin, dead, objects of wrath. It was pretty bad, right? Check out their before picture. Separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant promise, and having no hope. The Jews had a promise and a hope of who? What, what did they specifically and uniquely have a hope of? They had the hope of the seed, right? Remember Genesis 3, there would be a seed that would come and crush Satan's head. There would be a restorer of the nations that would solve the sin problem that was so rampant around them they could clearly see in their life. They had the promise of a seed, of sign, uh, the, the promise of a Messiah, an anointed one. And they were the commonwealth of Israel. They were God's holy nation. They had reaped the benefits of God's blessing through time, right? They had been attacked multiple times, and they had won because God was with them. They, they reaped gold and riches and treasures. They had the commonwealth of being the nation of, of God. Jews were, I mean, that, that was the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation. But the, 
the Gentiles were separated from this. And they were bound to God through this covenant promise that he would be their God and he, that they would be his people and he would be their God. And he would not leave them, right? The Gentiles had none of these. They were separated specifically because of their race. They were by nature atheist. They were without God, right? They had no hope and they were without God. Sure, they worshiped little gods, but before Christ, they had no access to the sovereign God that was moving in history to reveal himself. They were segregated, they were despised, they were hated, they were far off and hopeless. This was the worldwide picture of all people who were not of the Jewish nation. This is what Paul is describing, was the reality. But then God, right, being rich in mercy and great in love with which he loved us. Remember from verse 3 last week? But then God moved, right? Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just, just when things couldn't seem any worse, right? I mean, you're, you're separated. You have no hope. You have no, no access to God. You, you, you're, you're separated from us because you don't have any commonwealth. You're, you're just out there. Uh, just when it couldn't get any worse, there's that, that conjunction, that conjunction of hope, the but. But now, there, there was a, a time beforehand, remember and keep on remembering. Don't ever forget that you were once really, really far away. But now, because of an event, because there was a moment in history, there was a period of time when Christ came. But now, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember, it's, it's interesting. Paul is really, really emphasizing this idea that everything here in Ephesians is in Christ. That it's not of us, right? We weren't brought near. Gentiles and Jews were not brought together by some arbitrary agreement of the races. It wasn't because of a, a, a law that was passed. It was because Christ shed his blood. In Christ, we've all been brought together. It goes back to verse 9. It's by Jesus, God in the flesh, that all this has taken place. We didn't bring it on ourselves, but God as the promised Messiah, he did it. It's the blood of Jesus that brings us near. That means the drawing near was not a, a, a result of our self-effort. It was not of our works, as 2.9 says, but rather by the blood of Jesus. And we talk about blood, we talk about covenant language. God is making covenant with us, all people, now in Christ. Right? He made covenant with Israel in the Abrahamic covenant, and then he continued on when he blessed... Uh, wow. Pretty good when you start winging it, you start messing up names. So we're just going to move from there. <laughs> he continued the covenant, kept moving on, and kept moving on throughout the history. But the Israel, the, the Gentiles didn't have any access to this. But then he cut a new covenant, right? You didn't sign covenants in the Old Testament or in biblical times. You cut covenants. Something had to bleed, right? You made a sacrifice, and that blood represented the covenant. So in Christ's blood, he is cutting a new covenant with all people, all nations, every tongue, every tribe. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier or the dividing wall. Literally, Paul is bringing everybody in Ephesians, every, every Jew, every Christian, every Gentile, back to this picture of this segregated temple. And he's saying that wall is gone. Now there is no court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. There is, there's no separation between access to God now. In Christ, by the blood of Christ, the wall has been destroyed. He is our peace. He's the peacemaker. The blood, of the, the blood spilt for the Jew first, and then the same blood reconciles God to the Gentiles. 
Verse 15. By abolishing his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So, when you, when you read that real fast, you see he abolished the law. Right? And you're like, wait, hold on. I thought Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't abolish the law. I, I'm confused. What's going on here? You got to pay attention to this contained in the ordinances. Ordinances were decrees. They were man-made rules. Right? So this, this soreg, this wall that existed, this system that systematically oppressed Gentiles and kept them away from God was not of the will of God. It wasn't the law and the commandments of Moses. It was the law and the commandments of the, of the ordinances, the decrees of man. They were man-made systems. Man-made systems. This is really important. Jesus came and he became a peace by abolishing the hostility and the enmity between two races. He abolished that in himself. He took on all the hatred that could have possibly existed in the world onto himself and put it to death. And then he overcame the dividing wall and all the ordinances and all the decrees and all the man-made rules and regulations that kept people separated, he overcame that and put them in one man, one new man, made the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. There, there was literally no greater hatred than that which the Jews had for the Gentiles and the Gentiles had for the Jews. Right? I mean, the Gentiles, uh, Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. Even Jesus referred to the Gentiles as dogs in Mark 7. Right? It was a common mentality. They, they believed that they were the only nation that God loved and God hated everybody else. Right? I mean, when a Jew would come back from a trip, a long, long time, if he was out and he came home, before they would even walk in their house, they'd, they'd knock off all the dust off their clothes, they'd knock off their feet, they'd clean all the Gentile scum off of themselves so they wouldn't infect their homes. They had this mentality. If a Jewish boy or girl married a Gentile, the family would throw a funeral because that person was dead to them. Like, you, you just did not cross that line. Unacceptable. So they throw a funeral and, and, and try to remember who their son or their daughter used to be before they cross this horrible line. But the Gentiles, they weren't any more favorable towards the Jews, right? There was a time when Xerxes was king that there was a decree sent out to kill all the Jews, to eradicate the entire nation. Like they, were, they, they weren't friends or anything. One occasion, Jews were forbidden to read their own scriptures and to circumcise their young at the point of death. You were caught reading the Torah, you die. If you were in a Gentile city. Like, so they, they hated each other. There was a lot of enmity. There was a lot of hostility. And Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 says that in Christ, he put it to death. There should be something going on in your heart. You should be like, that sounds good, but that's not real. Right? There's, there's something in you that's like, I believe that, but I don't experience that. He established peace. So we, we, we see that there was a racism that existed long before Christ came back when Abraham was around. And there's a racism that existed when Christ was there. And there's a racism that existed afterwards. Because remember, it had to exist after Christ had died because Paul took a Gentile past the Soreg and a riot broke out. No, don't bring that Gentile in here. Right? So where's this peace? Where's this obliterated and annihilated hostility? How, how is this 
is Paul proclaiming this to be true, but it's not experienced. See, this, this idea that Christ brought peace has great application for us today. It means that the church should be the home base of racial reconciliation. The, home, the, home, the first people in the world that should cross over into other races, other social groups, other whatever, should be the Christians that follow Christ because the enmity that exists between us because of our sinful flesh is abolished in Christ. And if our identity is in Christ, then we should be acting like we are in Christ, which means that, that, that hatred, that separation, those ordinances, those rules should all be abolished. So the church, Christ's people, should be the home base, the starting point, the leaders in racial reconciliation. But we're not. Right? In a lot of ways, we're not. Think, think, about, think about what Christ has done. Think about when the Holy Spirit came, when we were all united in one spirit to the Father, when, when we were all put in Christ and, and the two bodies, the two people, the groups were all made one. Think about what happened. Do you remember back in the Old Testament when the people all spoke one language? Everybody was one? What'd they try to do? Try to build a tower. Tower of Babel, right? And they were building this because they were going to get to God. They were going to self-achieve and, and they were going to get themselves to God. And, and God struck them with what? How did, he, how did he break that up? He confused them with different languages. Right? So they couldn't communicate. So in essence, we start to see this, these different cultures, these different experiences, these different languages start to form. And then throughout history, we've all, we got all over the world, there's different languages and different histories, all this stuff, right? And, and all that existed until one point, right? When one spirit came into the world. Do you remember Pentecost? Right? Forty days after Christ um, ascended to heaven, they were sitting in, in the... In, in Jerusalem, and the, the, the Spirit of God came in and overcome them, and then there was fire dancing over their heads, and they started speaking in tongues. And what were the tongues they were speaking in? They were known languages, right? Because these, there were a bunch of Jews sitting in a room, and they started speaking Gentile languages they didn't know. Right? And then they started proclaiming the gospel of Jesus in languages they didn't know so that 3,000 people were saved. That is the picture of what Christ did on the cross. That all this separation, all this enmity, all this division was now brought into one spirit, one new man, one language, the spirit of God, one hope, the gospel of Jesus. All people were brought back together at Pentecost. All that division, all that enmity, ceased to exist at that point. Because Christ was obedient, because Christ spilt his blood, because a new covenant was formed in faith, we have hope and we have peace. Christ is our peace. Verse 16. And he might rec reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. There it is again. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. One man, one spirit, one Father, one body. All Christians, everyone who professes faith in Christ is part, are part of one body, the church. 
which is supposed to be at peace with one another. Because we all have access to the same spirit. We speak the same language. We're covered by the same blood. That reconciliation that that Christ did on the cross there, when he brought the two and made into one man, it wasn't just made us into one man here on earth. He, He reconciled people to one another, and he reconciled us to God. Put us in one spirit to the Father. All together. So there's, there should be human reconciliation because of what Christ did, and there should be spiritual reconciliation because of what Christ did. But as a church, what do we get really, really focused on? We love the spiritual representation, right? We're like, God died for me. He loved me. He brought me into his family. Yeah, great. But you're not in my family, right? You, you'd be in another family. I don't like you anymore. You know, it's like, oh, you speak a different language, or you look different, you act different, you have different social experiences, so you go be over here in your family, and I'll be in my family. We'll get along with each other, but, you know, there's not really any true reconciliation. But the Scripture says that Christ put us in one spirit to the Father, one body, one group, one family, one blood, one covenant. So now because of Christ's sacrifice and obedience, the dividing wall is gone, we have access to God as one human race. So verse 19 through 22 gives us three illustrations that kind of make this come to life. So then you, you no longer, not you, you won't be, or soon it'll happen in your life, or when heaven comes to earth, like that's when it, no, you now no longer are strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. We are citizens of the same nation, the same kingdom, number one. And are of God's household. We are of the same family. We are of God's household, right? We are children of God, all adopted, children of God. We are of the same household. And having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So there's your three illustrations. We are one nation, we are one family, and we are one temple. And Christ is the cornerstone that holds us together. The Jews and the Gentiles, all nations, all tongues, every nation, every people group, join together into one holy temple because of the work of Christ as the cornerstone. Verse, verse 20 says, Having been put, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Why, why does it say that and not Christ is the foundation? Any ideas? The people who, who are reading this, this letter, us today, have we literally physically met Jesus yet? No. But we know who Jesus is and the character of Jesus because of the foundation which the apostles and the prophets laid for us. Right? They laid the foundation and then Christ is the cornerstone that holds us together. He's the key point of the building. In verse 22, in whom we are also built together in a dwelling of the Spirit of God. Of God in, in the Spirit. So there's three illustrations that kind of Lay it out for us. We are one family. We have brothers and sisters that look different than us, that speak different than us, that act different than us, that eat different foods than us, but they're all part of our families. They're our brothers and sisters. So, you know, if you're like, hey, what's up, brother? That's not, it's not a, that shouldn't be a term that we use for just like, because it's hip. That should be a literal statement of, wow, you are my brother. Like, we are literally in Christ together. You are my family. We are one household. And we're one nation, one citizenship. We are here in the, the, the kingdom of God is real on earth. Right now, we're part of it. If you're in the church, you're in the kingdom. You're citizens of that kingdom. You're no longer aliens and strangers. You're citizens and your kingdom has come, right? It's on earth. We are here with Christ. And then we are one holy temple, 
What is the holy temple? It's the access, it's the dwelling place of God. And if we are really the access, the dwelling place of God, why does the church not look like one? Why are we so divided? So that's the truth, right? There, there shouldn't be black and white and Asian and European and, and Japanese and Chinese and Korean and Anglo-Saxon. It's one, one body. Why are we so divided? We're supposed to be one temple, one family, one nation to the glory of God. Yet we're not. We're not. So I'm going to pray before I get to the application. <laughs> so if you'll just pray with me. Um, there's some big things we're going to have to wrestle with today. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, this is going to be hard to say. It's going to be hard to hear. Let your word come to life in us now. Let those who have here hear. Lord, don't let us be deaf to this because of our experiences. Let us hear your word. Speak to us and show us your glory. Amen. In America, Sunday morning is probably the most segregated time of the week. Right? Um, we are divided in Spanish churches, black churches, white churches, Korean churches, Chinese churches. We're all separated. We all come together and we worship individually. Um. According to the yearbook of American and Canadian churches, there are 217 Protestant denominations in America. Right? There's 217 in American Canada Protestant denominations. Among Baptists, there are Baptist, Southern Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Missionary Baptist, American Baptist, Green Baptist, Yellow Baptist, Baptist Baptist, and then our favorite of all, just Baptist. Right? There's a thousand of us. The church is divided by theological issues, by eschatological issues, by cultural issues. We're divided all over the place. And the reality is that underneath those theological and, and eschatological and all, all these different issues are their racial issues and their cultural issues and their experiences that happen in this world that keep us divided. Why was there racism in the time of Abraham? Why was there racism in the time of Christ? And why is there racism today? What's the common denominator across the board? Sin. We're fallen. We're broken. We like to be right. We like to be on top of things. And if you're not like us, go somewhere else. We've spent centuries as the church, as the body of Christ, fighting to rebuild what Christ destroyed. Fighting to build up walls and systems. We've contributed to the oppression of minorities as a church. We've, we built up all these walls and Christ came and destroyed those things and we spent our time building them and pursuing them and not just pursuing, championing them and then teaching them to our children and teaching them to their children and our grandchildren's children. 
And Christ came to break down the dividing wall. Because of sin. God is in the building business. He's in the building business. He's building one temple. Cornerstone is Christ. We're building 50 temples. We're not participating in a lot of ways in building one temple. We're building our temple and their temple and your temple and my temple. Christ is in the building. How do we get back in line with what the gospel says is true in Ephesians? How does the church become the center point of the reconciliation of humanity together under Christ, in Christ? Not in our own systems, in our own desires, in our own theologies, but under and in one spirit, Christ. How do we get back to that? Building this temple with God, being a part of what he's doing in this nation, a part of his ministry of reconciliation is hard labor. It's not something we can do easily. It's not something we do in a Sunday school curriculum or in a sermon series. It's hard labor. And so I've got three things I think we need to, to do as a church. I want to give you some application points. And these are not all inclusive. They're just a starting point. Right? Here's the reality. Restoration Church and everyone in here is not going to solve racism. Right? We're not going to solve it. There's over 400 years in America and like and that uh, there's only been, it's only been legal to worship together for like 40 years. Right? I mean, we're not going to overcome hundreds of years of oppression right now. But we can take steps towards it. We can be part of the kingdom come in this world. We can be part of the ministry of reconciliation and proclaimers of the gospel. So here's the first thing we got to do. We've got to realize that the problem of race and culture are real. They're, they're real. They exist today. Um, and I want you to know a true confession. I would not have said that two years ago. I wouldn't have said that two years ago. I would have said, oh, you're just bringing it up. Just let it go. If you'd stop talking about it, it wouldn't exist. But because you keep promoting it, that's why there's racism. I was raised in a, di- in a different... I-, I wasn't taught to be racist. So I didn't believe that it really existed. But then God is opening my eyes through relationships that I have with people and showing me the systematic oppression of blacks and Hispanics and other minority groups in America. Right? And I mean, it's real. And we have to admit that it's real because if we try to dismiss it, then we're dismissing the gospel because the gospel says it's real. Right? Ephesians says racism is real. Christ, Christ didn't just come to reconcile you to the Father. He came to reconcile us to one another. He broke down the barrier wall between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus dealt with racism on the cross. He says it's real. So we can't just ignore it. We have to be able to say it is what it is. We are men and women, all people, all human beings, no matter your skin tone, your language, where you come from, we are all image bearers of God. We all get it, right? We, we know that Scripture plainly says that God created man and woman in His image. And in His likeness, He created them. And then that image is distorted by our sin, right? But we still bear the image of God. And so if we say that racism doesn't exist, we're in essence denying the reality that people's image-bearing capacity is being oppressed, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're pushing down the reality of the Scripture. So our, to deny racism is to deny that everyone 
I'm screwing this up, but walk with me. It's to deny that we all are created in the image of God. Because if we, if we look at the reality of the world and we see how some people are held down here by man-made ordinances and decrees and we see that others are elevated because of man-made, that, that right there is racism. Right? And that's saying these people are not, don't bear the same image. They're not part of the same family. We are in essence denying the truths of the scripture. And if we say that this doesn't exist, we're denying the reality that we're denying the truths of the scripture. And then we're in a really bad space. So we've got to make, it, make sure we acknowledge it. We, we, we don't have to carry the guilt of things our ancestors did, but if we don't acknowledge it, we're going to be guilty of perpetuating it ourselves. And then we carry the guilt of that. So we've got to talk about it. We've got to engage people. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to pray. We have got to pray hard because racism is not just a man problem. It's a spiritual problem. Right? It, it, is, it is literally a design of Satan to keep the body of Christ from being like it's supposed to be. Right? I mean, think, of, think about the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ. Think about the experiences that black and brown Americans have had versus white Americans. How they have seen the gospel in a completely different way and the character of who Jesus is in a completely different way than we ever will. And unless we come together, we will never see the fullness of who Christ is. This is, this is the design of Satan to keep the body of Christ from seeing the beauty of who he really is in this earth. Because what if we really saw it? What if we really got it and we started living in it? We'd be an unstoppable force, right? If we really knew Christ in his fullness, we would be unstoppable. But systematic racism is a way, I think it's a spiritual issue, that because of our sinfulness, Satan uses, our enemy uses, demonic forces promote and use to separate us so that we never know the fullness of Christ. Tim Keller has a really good message on this. Um, It's called Hope, Race, and Grace. Look it up on his website. Um, It's talking about the racial issues of Romans 14 and 15 how to deal with those things. It's a great message. I really want to encourage everybody to go listen to it on a podcast. But he's using the illustration of three men. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. Anybody ever read it? There you go. So he's got three men. I don't remember their names, so I'm going to make them up. Charles, Roger, and Steve. Right? Huh? Okay, but there's three men, but there's four loves. I don't know. I mean, like, read the book. Um, (laughs) Just copying. I'm, I'm just copying Keller. Get, me, get off me. All right. So um, there's three men, Charles, Roger, and Steve. And Steve dies. And, and Charles it realizes that a part of Roger is missing now. There was a part of Roger that only was brought out by Steve's personality. The only, only, only when they were interacting did he get to know the true Roger. Right? I mean, and, and think about it in your life. You're, we're better known in a group than we are individually, right? I mean, like, when, when kids are wanting to date, and as a youth pastor, I'd say, well, go out in groups as a, and, and date so as a groups, right? Because you're going to see the true character of somebody in a group more than you're going to see it on a one-on-one watching a movie, right? So we're known better in groups. And so Charles realized there's something that will forever be missing about Roger now that Steve's gone. And if that's true about knowing a person... How much more true is it about knowing who Christ really is? 
How much more true is it that unless we have the experiences of all different races and languages and tongues in the body of Christ, that we won't really see the fullness of who Christ is unless we tap into the experiences of the gospel and the gospel implications of all they've, they've, they've wrestled with. We can see a more beautiful picture. And so Satan is trying to keep us from seeing that beautiful picture, seeing that diversity, seeing that beauty. This is a spiritual issue, and we have got to go to war with it. And the war starts on our knees. It starts in prayer. It's not something we're going to change with new ordinances and new laws and new decrees. It's something that's going to change when our hearts are changed, when sin is conquered, when Christ is magnified. We've got to go to war. And then the third thing we've got to do. So first, we've got to admit that it's a real problem. Two, we've got to go to war in prayer. And then three, we've got to be intentional about engaging people who are not like us. Um, one of the beauties of restoration thus far since we've moved down here, and even when we were at Five Oaks, is we're becoming more diverse as a group. Um, you wouldn't see that today. <laughs> a lot of people are missing. But we're becoming more diverse as a group. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And the problem is, is that if Sunday...